0: Hello, everyone. I'm Douglas E. Welch, and this is A Gardener's Notebook. You can find out more information on the blog and podcast by visiting douglasewelch.com. I was recently interviewed by Joey and Holly Baird over at the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener Podcast, and I wanted to share my interview with you. The show was 90 minute long, so I've excerpted my interview to include it here. I hope you enjoy it. For more information on the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener podcast, you can visit thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. And now, here's the interview.
1: The Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener speaks out individuals for making a difference in the organic gardening world by showing teaching and sometimes even writing to help others easily grow their own food. Today, we speak with Douglas Welch, who is a writer, A neglectful gardener who grew up in a small town in Ohio, but moved to the Los Angeles area and has lived there for twenty six years. One of the biggest adjustments he has dealt with is getting used to the different climate. Douglas will share some of his secrets on how to be a better gardener. Welcome to the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener Podcast, Douglas.
2: Thank you so much. Like so it's a pleasure to be here.
3: Well it's a pleasure to have you on the program. All of us gardeners have unique stories on how we got into gardening. What's yours? was? Did you uh, experience gardening at a young age, or did you find it later on in life?
2: I experienced gardening at a, gardening at a very young age. I probably grew up eating dirt <laughs> sitting, here, <laughs> sitting in the garden. Um, I lived in a very small town in Ohio. It's about 2,000 people uh, called New London and while we actually lived in a small subdivision right next to the farm field, we were basically farmers. We had our own 10 acres, and we also rented property. And my father often worked for all the other larger farmers in the area. He was a uh, an amazing mechanic, and uh, he would uh, take me around with him to all these other older farmers. So uh, even though I didn't live on a farm proper like some of the other farm kids, I certainly got a farm upbringing. Um, so that of course had its gardening uh, elements there my grandmother my uh, father's mother had an extensive garden when i was growing up she probably had at one time when she was in her in her middle age she probably had a good half acre of garden uh it slowly reduced in size over the years but i have some amazing memories of working in that garden with my grandmother sometimes willingly sometimes less so but uh, it was certainly something that we just saw as something that everybody did and you just did it from the minute you could walk out into the
3: garden. Yeah, it's a, a trait and a, and a, I guess a job or a, a lifestyle that many people in society have gotten away from and uh, unfortunately would not be able to sustain themselves if some tragedy happened that they would have to revert back to growing their own food.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also, you know, we've gotten very used to convenience. We've gotten very used to the idea that... um most of our basic needs can be met through buying food at the store or whatever. Uh, I often come back to the concept of that there is a um, an inherently important thing that we need to garden for ourselves, our heart, our soul, our minds, and getting back in contact with the soil is definitely one way of of um, kind of, a I won't say avoiding our problems, but uh, making them less important for a few few hours when we're outside.
1: So you grew up in Ohio now you live in Los Angeles. How did
2: you end up in the Los Angeles area? Well, I could lie and say I was, I was drugged here by my new wife who wanted to be a television writer. Actually, that's not much of a lie, but I wasn't drug here. Um, my wife had always uh, grown up in the Cleveland area and wanted to be a television writer. And there were two places you basically went to do that, New York or Los Angeles. Uh, she went to New York to interview for attending NYU and suddenly remembered that we only visited New York City in the summer. And it's snows there. <laughs> so uh, she came out to visit some cousins who lived out here in uh, Southern California, walked out in the morning in her slippers, pulled an orange off the tree, and went, I guess we're moving here. <laughs> uh, I didn't have a lot of things holding me to Ohio beyond my family as far as professional prospects, so it was certainly not a hard decision for me to uh, to pack up. And we actually we moved uh, the day after we got married. We had known each other for uh, I guess three and a half, four years, Uh, but the day after we got married, the wedding party packed our our large moving truck, and we headed off to Beverly, as they say.
3: Clearly, the uh, climate and and growing conditions are vastly different in the Los Angeles area versus the small town that you grew up in. What are some of the most difficult challenges in regards to the climate change in gardening where you live now?
2: I would go so far as to say the climate here is weird <laughs> compared to growing up in Ohio where you had very defined seasons. Yes, you might have a, a, a an easy winter or a, or a mild summer, but boy, out here, everything kind of gets turned on its head. Uh, the first thing you notice, of course, is we, in some cases, have a year-round growing season. Uh, right now, we're doing our cold winter, uh, cold weather crops like kales and cabbages and lettuces and stuff like that, um, which is, you know, I get... I get somewhat joking, nasty drams from people when I show them pots of lettuce or, or, or flowers blooming in the garden, or azaleas just started to bloom, actually. That's it's just their time of year. Uh, when people back east see that, they're they're kind of crazy about that. That said, though, we also have this oddity that in the summer, um, we kind of get a winner. Uh, in the hot, hot heat of the summer here in the San Fernando Valley, just in, in the city of Los Angeles, but on the northern side, um, things actually go dormant here in the summer. Um, and so it, the first couple of years back in the garden, you like, uh-oh, is that dying? Wait a minute, what's... Uh, oh, no, no, that's right. It, it's just going dormant this kind of year. And you've got to really change your mindset quite a bit.
1: Hmm, that's quite interesting. Definitely uh, something that we didn't know. So <laughs> we all deal with watering, um, whether we plant in the ground or raise beds or containers. What are some ways that you as a container gardener retain moisture in the container?
2: I have... I will say I just recently got kind of into container gardening in a big way for the basic reason is the previous owners of the garden planted lots and lots of trees on this property. And we have a very small lot. It's probably, you know, I I wouldn't even call it a 16th of an acre or whatever. It's a small urban, you know, city, suburban lot. Uh, But they planted many, many, many trees. And I've actually spent the 16 years we've owned the property cutting a lot of the trees down what i call editing i go in and i say i'm going to leave that tree i'm going to take that tree out what it means is we have tons of shade and so what i did is i my wife has been pushing me for years to grow more veg to grow more food and i ended up having to put containers along our driveway actually in our rose bed along our driveway because that was the sunniest spot in the garden um... so this has somewhat limited my watering abilities in the major parts of the garden i had drip and soaker irrigation installed for that for the containers, um, we tend to water by hand because it is a smaller area, but we've also also—I've uh, done some experiments with some alternative methods. Uh, one thing we did which got a lot of attention on the blog was using old wine bottles as um, kind of uh, farmer versions of those fancy glass globes that you see in all the gardening magazines uh, you fill them up with water, you upend them into the pot, kind of push them down and wiggle them down into the soil, and they actually act as a slow watering mechanism in the pot.
3: Right, and they look a lot prettier based on the color of the wine bottle than let's say a plastic soda bottle or a, or juice jug.
2: Well, and I actually use the juice jug method too. I have one pot that I, I, I'm i trying out there. We had a really nicely shaped uh, juice, that kind of a square cornered with a long neck on it that seemed to lend itself to this. So I uh, punched some holes in the bottom of that. I actually, when I created a new container, I actually buried that in the container as part of the setup process. And then it's got a nice uh, screw on lid and it holds a little more volume. And so that's one way of getting around kind of that quote unquote ugly plastic look is you you basically bury it in the pot and just leave enough of the next showing you can easily fill it but i found both of those methods actually to be very effective as a supplementary watering uh i don't think you could water the plants entirely from that but on the hot hot days we get here where it's 90 95 100 degrees what i'll typically do is i'll water them and then i'll also fill those uh, bottles as a supplement that goes right down into the roots so you get much less evaporation and much less runoff, too
3: now you touched on one of the bigger issues that you've dealt with in your urban garden setting was the trees. What other issues do you face when you are in an urban garden setting uh, from your experience?
2: We have been very lucky here in that we have two wonderful neighbors, one on each side of us in the behind us we have a auto automotive uh, retail establishment, for lack of a better word, a car lot, um, which recently built a, a big parking garage, actually. And um, we don't have much exposure on the front, so we've been very, very lucky. What I do hear from some of my neighbors um, is we have a junior high up the street from us about a half mile, and our street is the walking home uh, access for a lot of the students. And there is some things that get damaged in the garden, especially the closer it is to the street. Uh, just from tomfoolery from the kids. But in my case, I've been really lucky. Um, As far as um, environmental things, really it's nothing um, you would uh, not experience elsewhere. It's, you know, we're dealing with shade, we're dealing with sun that's too hot. I mean, people think, oh, Los Angeles must be great for growing tomatoes, but we can actually burn our tomatoes out here because the sun can get so hot and the temperatures can rise so high that it can actually um, kill off your tomato plants. In some cases, we're in the situation of actually having to put shade cloth or, or poly cover or something over the plants um, to give them a little, uh, little shade from the sun.
3: So Los Angeles may not be the most perfect scenario for growing uh, tomatoes as many of our listeners may think it is.
2: I hear that a lot. I get that a lot. Oh, you must be just growing. Personally, I, I'm a failure at tomato growing. Um, I think they require a little too much attention on my part and we I'm sure this will come up later, but I tend to garden by benign neglect. You know, something can't survive someone on its own, it probably doesn't belong in my garden. But uh I I fully admit it I am a total waste case on tomatoes, partially because we didn't have enough sun in certain areas. We might try it again this year now that I've figured out kind of where the sunny spots are in the yard and now that I have containers to deal with it. Um, but yeah, if you people think, oh, Southern California is you know, this lovely climate, and for most of the year it is. I would say if you want a perfect climate, you have to go further south. you got to go down to San Diego, which has like an average temperature of, I think, 75 degrees year-round.
1: We all have a specific preference when it comes to gardening. If you had a choice, would you stay with containers or would you choose a different method? And why wouldn't you? You know,
2: I'm very much for a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I love growing in the ground. I'm a perennial fan, honestly, and I inherited a garden that's mostly perennials, which has only cemented that love on my part. Again, it goes back to the benign neglect gardener. I've even gone so far as to call myself the lazy gardener in some ways. I love plants that I can put in the ground, I can take care of, but continue to give back year after year after year without a lot of attention. Uh, I like to prune, I like to do all that, but you know, when it comes to annuals, I see even out here in Los Angeles, people, put, people putting out huge beds of annuals, I'm like that is just too much work. Um, that said, I, I like containers because you can uh, have quick turnover of crops if you want to do that. You, know, you can plant some lettuce now. We have a thing out here in the summers too that you can't grow lettuce beyond about mm, late April or early May because the temperatures get so high the lettuce just bolts immediately. Um and so uh we have a rotation, a crop rotation in the containers out here where you grow the lettuce and when it bolts you pull it out and you put something that's uh more capable for the hot weather in there and and just keep rolling stuff through and so it, it gives you uh the containers kind of feed that need for variety uh that the perennials may not give you in the rest of your garden.
3: Now, you touched on the tomatoes being a crop that you have difficulty in growing. What other crops do you have difficulty in growing? And though difficult, you've turned them into a success because you've learned how to adapt their uh, preference in growing in the climate of the southern los angeles area as
2: with most things in nature we have to adapt to it rather than it adapting to us so uh going back to the containers what i just mentioned there about we have to get in and be very aware of the cycles we have to know that you know if you want those cold weather crops you got to get them in now so they have this you know two or three months growing season you harvest you get out on what you like And and you know that when May comes around, they're just not gonna handle it unless you have a very mild, uh, you know, late spring. And so you learn to adapt and you learn to make notes, a lot of notes. Um, I'm a big proponent of paper journals. Actually still, I have an iPhone, I've got a MacBook, I've got all the technology, I'm a really tech guy. I'm a computer consultant by trade, um, but I still carry a paper journal around. Um, And I am very good about noting. When things come into bloom when things are, uh, you know should be finishing up i've actually moved that into a computer calendar i use google calendar and i actually have my gardening quote-unquote calendar in there where i can see every year oh the azaleas bloomed two weeks later last year or two weeks earlier the year before and so with me it's more a case of monitoring stuff and being aware of the cycles which again people have kind of fallen out of that ability that knowledge that we've always had in the past um but i don't Try to force things I, I see too many people out here who do try to force things like like a gardener back east or up north would try to force a plant that probably isn't hardy for their zone. I see a lot of that in the in the garden chats and everything else. Um, people out here will try to force cold weather veg into the summer they'll try to to grow their tomatoes too early or too late or you know and it Just doesn't yield the best results, and it usually ends up yielding nothing but frustration for a lot of people.
3: Right. Uh, Where you you live, you should see what plants best grow in that area, and focus on those plants, and don't try to grow a coconut tree in central Wisconsin or or cool weather crops in the middle of summer in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah, and even here in Los Angeles, people like this they like to fool themselves into thinking we're a tropical climate. And so they'll plant banana trees and bougainvillea and hibiscus and these other things. And right now, tonight, I'm actually going to have to go out and put some covers on my pots and my herbs and stuff because we're going to be right on the edge of a freeze tonight and for the next three nights here in the San Fernando Valley. And people don't expect that at all. They're like, a freeze? In California? <laughs> Never. Um, and a few years ago, we had a, a sustained about a week or week and a half of very low and freezing temperatures and I I lost two of the hibiscus that the previous owners had planted. The third one was very very damaged but did come back. Uh, I had an aurelia that I had planted that went from green to just dead sticks in twelve hours. (laughs) I mean the frost just said this does not belong here, bam, and it killed it dead. I've never seen anything die so quickly. Um, so it does take, uh, you know, even out here we you think, oh, this is the climate, but you've got to watch for those very specific things for, for your area. And, of course, here in California, especially Southern California, we have about a bajillion microclimates, depending on where you are in relation to the ocean. Are you inland? Are you north? Are you south? Are you, uh, what elevation are you at? That's another thing that gets us out here is uh, people in the foothills have, you know, um, they're actually going to get a frost before we do down here in the valley and so on and so forth so it's 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 important to gain that local knowledge
3: now uh transitioning from growing to composting uh you've shown on your youtube channel your compost pile and even though you're in a small urban setting composting is important no matter what size of a uh, urban setting or ranch so to speak you live on. Talk about some of the uh maybe misconceptions that people have about composting because realistically it's easier than what many people think.
2: That you, you said it right there. It's easier than what people think. I talk to my friends about it all the time. Uh and and, and I'll add to that worm composting is actually really popular here in, in the California area as well. Um, the biggest misconceptions are are it's difficult, it's a lot of work, it's smelly um, I can bring people back to my bins, pull the lid off, there's no smell. I don't, again, let's call me the lazy gardener. I've actually called myself that in a column that I've written for the for the blog. I don't turn my compost. I I try to basically layer between green and brown and green and brown, and it, it works its way from the top and down to the bottom, and by the time it gets to the bottom, it's compost. There's no extra work involved. There's no turning. There's no... Um, compost activator there's yeah there's nothing like that i literally just set and let it rot
1: going forward the web page what was the reason behind the web page and for our listeners what is some of the content? if they're unfamiliar what are some of the content that they can find on it?
2: the reason for the web page actually i my joke is i'm older than the internet which is which is i truly am um and the other thing is um I was blogging before blogs existed, before the the technology like we're used to today with WordPress and Blogger and all that existed. I was actually doing some of that on my website. It came from 16 years ago uh, when we bought this property. It had a 10-year-old garden on it. Uh, I had not done any garden. i have been living in apartments for our first um, 10 years here in Los Angeles. And I'm not a big houseplant fan, so I wasn't even doing that. Uh, All of a sudden, I inherited a 10-year-old mature garden. And... I realized that I wanted to write about it. I wanted to share stuff about it um and I also wanted to talk to other people about it so as it so happened, I started writing some columns. The first column I wrote was restoring a uh an older garden because that's what we were doing. We were coming into a garden that was unfortunately the elderly couple who lived here could no longer maintain it, so it was a bit ragged around the edges um. It so happened I got very, very lucky in that a gentleman in Florida, I don't even remember his name at this point, offered me some free web hosting space if I wrote a regular weekly column for him for kind of this content uh, hub that he was creating down there. And so that gave me the impetus to write once a week and have a series of columns, and so it's like, oh, I can do this. So by the time blogging came along with WordPress and Blogger and all that, I was already... Doing a weekly column, and so it was a very natural transition to just start putting that into a blog format. Um, On the blog, for me, you'll see my writing about my garden. Uh, Lately, I've been doing lots and lots of videos, and I'm actually working harder to do more video. Uh, I've been a podcaster since 2004 when the term was coined, and uh, so I've had the ability to do this. I'm a computer guy, so I can. Have the uh, ability to edit video and do stuff like that, and um, so I'm I'm doing a variety of series on the log now and on my YouTube channel. One is which is just in the garden, which is something interesting that's happening in my garden. One is a container garden update where I've been focusing specifically on the containers and the issues I've had with them and what I've been doing with them. Um, I also do garden tips and, and other things like that. I show off projects that I've done in the garden. Um, I also share a lot. Uh, anything interesting that crosses my path in, in, the, in the gardening world, you'll probably find it shared on my blog or you'll find it shared through my Twitter feed or my Google Plus feed or whatever. Uh, I really enjoy that part of it. I really enjoy sharing with other people and having discussions with other people about interesting information that I've found and you know, hopefully that interesting information I'm trying to implement in my garden as well
3: yeah you uh, on your some of your videos you take us into your pinterest feed and you show us some of the interesting images that other people have used in their garden and to kind of encourage us as viewers to think about how to possibly in, in ingrate those into our garden so we can be more successful at growing vegetables as well
2: yeah that's the that's the series what douglas dug uh <laughs> i started that uh six Months ago or so, um, that gave me an outlet because I do share a lot. I do pin a lot. Again, anything that that seems interesting to me, I want to share it from. I want to save it for myself, and so in doing that, I, I share it with other people. That uh, show is an opportunity for me to talk a little bit more about the things I share because typically, if you share on Twitter or Facebook, you know you share a link. It's a one line. You can write a few words about it if you want. But what Douglas Doug is a, is a chance for me to sit down and. Say a little bit more about why I shared that and why I saved that. Um, something I'm doing on another uh, my main blog that I do I've been working on a uh, a food show that we record every Thursday called um called Kitchen Party, which is uh, uh brings in some of my gardening stuff as well. But uh I've gotten back into food a lot. So one of the things I've done, and I'm doing this for the gardening as well is I'm picking one thing that I share, one thing that I say, one recipe, one garden tip, whatever, and I'm trying to implement that once a week and then doing a show or a blog post or whatever about that thing that I've done that week. Um, People always bemoan the fact on Pinterest and elsewhere that I pin all these things, but I never do anything. And so this is my kick in the seat of the pants to myself to take these great ideas that I found and actually start to implement them.
3: Well, I've watched several of them, and they're very enjoyable and very – uh information that you go, hey, yeah, I could do that. Hey, that's very I- informative. So I really appreciate whenever I get to kind of sit back and watch you telling me, hey, I've seen this on Pinterest, and here's what it is.
2: Well, that is great to hear. Thank you so much. Because, you know, in the podcasting world and in the YouTube world, you don't often get a lot of feedback. You get some, but it's 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 always great to hear. I can tell somewhat by the views that the videos get and stuff like that, you know, how popular they are. but. I'm glad you feel that way, and that gives me impetus to do more of those for sure.
3: Yeah, absolutely keep them coming. Now, we spoke to you off air, and, and you uh, talked about the overabundance of citrus in the Southern California area, and you said a lot of this goes to waste. And this is a shock to, to me, but, you know, not because a lot of food that we grow in this country goes to waste. Why do you think this is, and what are some of the ways that, uh, to deal with, uh, to deal with this problem?
2: Well, the reason that a lot of it goes to waste is because most people didn't plant these trees. They didn't take the effort to plant these trees and grow these trees. They were simply there when they bought the property. Uh, here in the San Fernando Valley, we've gone from you know chaparral and scrub to acres and acres and acres of wheat, to acres and acres and acres of citrus and nuts and other things over the you know several hundred years of its of its uh, American history. So almost every property, at least here in the San Fernando Valley and actually over in the L.A. Basin as well, has at least one citrus tree on it, whether it's a lemon tree or an orange tree. We have a lemon, and we had an apricot when we moved in that that had been here previously. Um, But almost everybody has at least one. They don't know how to maintain them. They don't know how to use the oranges. You know, everyone, oh, orange juice. Well, there's a lot more you can do with oranges besides orange juice. Um, That's definitely one way to go with it for sure. But um, I think it's because people don't have an investment in the trees. We also get tons of wild fig trees that sprout up everywhere out here, mainly because the birds drop the seeds everywhere. So I actually um, I took out a huge volunteer fig in the backyard that had grown up because it had actually gotten too big. There'll be another one there before I even blink that will you know will let grow up and harvest some figs from and do that. Um, there is a group here in LA, and I'm not connected with them directly, but I do know about them called Fallen Fruit and one of the things that they do is they actively engage in mapping out fruit in, the, in various neighborhoods, fruit trees, and uh, that includes out here avocado, fig, citrus, apple. there's even some apple trees out here. Our neighbors have a couple of apple trees, actually. Um, and they put those uh, maps online because in Los Angeles, the law is if fruit is overhanging the public right away, it can be harvested legally by anyone. Um, and so they, 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 they promote them for that. Then they also have projects they go out and they do, which is they go out to a neighborhood, they do a survey, they um, help educate the homeowners, and they help connect the homeowners up with various food banks here in the Los Angeles area to take at least some of that harvest and get it to those people who need it most. Oh.
1: That's, that's definitely really, really, you know, good
3: purpose for it.
2: I think it's one of the uh, one of the amazing things. There's another group too that that does another system whereby they help to uh, they help food banks have what are basically farmer market days. Because one of the big problems that food banks have with fresh produce is they can't store it. They simply don't have the space the refrigeration and stuff to store it. Uh, and so it's always been an issue of getting fresh produce into food banks. Well, what this group does, and I wanna, I, I got to. Think the name if i can't think of it while we're talking i'll I'll definitely look it up and send it to you so you can put it in the show notes Um, but what they do is they organize with food banks to say pick one day to have your farmer's market day quote unquote and what happens is the local produce producers will then bring the food on that day when it's going to be distributed and basically have a farmer's market where people can come into the food bank and get fresh produce as well as the other non-perishable items that they might be getting from the food bank so that, that produce helps again to move to those people who need it most in the area. Well,
3: that's
1: that's definitely really, really you know, good purpose
2: for it. So. I think it's one of the uh, one of the amazing things. There's another group too that that does another system whereby they help to uh, they help food banks have what are basically farmer market days. Because one of the big problems that food banks have with fresh produce is they can't store it. They simply don't have the space, the refrigeration, stuff To store it. Uh, and so it's always been an issue of getting fresh produce into food banks. Well, what this group does, and I want to, I, I got to think the name. If I can't think of it while we're talking, I'll, I'll definitely look it up and send it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Um, well, what they do is they organize with food banks to say, pick one day to have your farmer's market day, quote unquote. And what happens is the local produce producers will then bring the food on that day when it's going to be distributed. And basically have a farmers market where people can come into the food bank and get fresh produce as well as the other non-perishable items that they might be getting from the food bank so that that produce helps again to move to those people who need it most in the area
3: Uh, very very good uh, program to have in, in a city such as los angeles
2: it is so important here people like to think about los angeles and hollywood and the glitz and the glamour but the fact is los angeles is a huge urban area and it's a very dispersed urban area, and there are people of all types and all needs here in Los Angeles. I joke living here in the San Fernando Valley that I'm living in the Midwest practically because the people I know who even work in the industry, they're working actors. They're people you see every day in commercials and as guest, guests on TV shows and stuff like that. They're not the Tom Cruises and the Brad Pits. Um but uh, they're, they're much more working actors, just like my parents... Uh, would have worked on the farm my friend's parents would have worked in the in the automotive plants around the cleveland area that's what they do they're just working actors and along with it of course you get all levels of society from the poorest poor to the richest rich and it really behooves us to do something to help help out those who are less fortunate and get a product that otherwise would go completely to waste into the hands of those who can really use it
1: definitely yeah, very encouraging so as we come to the end of the, the time together, we like to ask our guests um, a gardening tip to help people have their best garden season yet.
2: Oh, well, okay. Before I answer that, I'm actually going to, I did, I was not sitting here at my computer. I looked up that website. That website is called ampleharvest.org, and these are the people who help to connect up food banks with uh, produce producers in their areas to get that farmer's market thing going. Is to, um, it's something I've written about in my blog, and it's go out into your garden sit down on the ground. If you can, lay down on the ground and look at your garden. Look at everything from the smallest little creepy crawly to the biggest tree in your property. It's there that you get an understanding of what you're doing and kind of get a feeling for the size of what you're doing. It can be the smallest container, it can be the biggest you know, acre, three acre, five acre lot, it doesn't matter. You need to get to know what's going on in your garden. And so I tell people sometimes, uh, we can, as gardeners, we can get a little distracted because in our own garden, all we see is what needs to be done. to the garden, oh, that tree needs to be pruned, that needs to be weeded, that needs... And I don't think we enjoy it as much as we should. And so I do recommend that people get out and just enjoy their garden, even if it's for just a little while, and actually get to know their garden. Dig around in it. Notice when they're digging in the garden what they're turning over and what they're seeing and the birds that are flying through. Here in urban Los Angeles, I have all sorts of birds, natives and uh, imports. I have possum that come in my yard. I have raccoons that come through my yard. I have uh, hawks that actively hunt my bird feeders in my backyard. I'm one block off of Van Nuys Boulevard, one of the largest boulevard streets, to run through the San Fernando Valley. And this is the type of wildlife I have in my garden. Um, And it's important for people to really understand that no matter where they are, that's the type of garden that they can have and will have if they just pay a little attention to it.
3: Uh, very, very good tip to uh, take to heart. Well, Douglas, as the, as our time draws near, why don't you uh, give us the contact information for your blog, your YouTube channel, so our listeners can get in touch with you and follow you as you go in the garden.
2: Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, the gardening blog is called A Gardener's Notebook. And it's been an ongoing concern for a number of years, probably about 10 years now. Um, You can find out, uh, find a link to a gardener's notebook and everything that I do, including my YouTube channel, at my main website, which is douglasewelch.com. And my last name is spelled W-E-L-C-H, so it's douglasewelch.com dot com you'll find links to everything i do including my latest videos links to all the different blogs that i do Uh, i actually have a collection of gardening essays uh, which i've written over the years has been collected into a kindle book and that's available it's uh, entitled from a gardener's notebook and you don't need a kindle to read it anybody can read it whether on their computer or on their smartphone or whatever but that's one of the latest projects that i've been doing again to help share uh, what i feel about my garden and hopefully what other people can gain from it
1: right and that's very important well we we do appreciate you and we'll definitely put your your link in our show notes so the uh, listeners can connect with you more
3: yes and and joining us on the program today thank you again douglas for joining us on the program
2: thank you for having me it's always a pleasure i love to talk and i love to talk about gardening so it's been a lot of
3: fun well we want to thank douglas e welch for being on the program a lot of valuable information that he's provided for us whether you're in a small lot like he is or you're in the urban setting and uh, whether you're in los angeles or anywhere in the world we've learned some very interesting things about growing in los angeles and
1: if you are in the los angeles area make sure you check out that ampleharvest.org and if you don't know what to do with your citrus fruit somebody can use it
3: right and we'll have the links for his uh, information his website on on uh, in the show notes there so you can contact him if you have you know uh, have any questions for him as well again we want to thank you uh, Douglas for being on the program I'm Joy Baird. I'm Holly Baird. and you can check out our website at the com. each week we have a new podcast and a new video yesterday we planted onions and leeks for our spring garden And like we say in podcast or in video, take
1: a child gardening with
3: you and start growing some
1: memories.
0: This has been a Gardener's Notebook with Douglas E. Welch. This is a rebroadcast of an interview with Douglas from the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener podcast. You can find out more about them at thewisconsinvegetablegardener.com. For more information on A Gardener's Notebook, visit douglasewelch.com. Until next time, keep digging.